All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for today. And um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active, that it's powerful. It gives hope and encouragement to those who wait on you. So we come today, lives surrendered before you. We wait on you, God. Speak to us through your scripture, God. Give us understanding, even of difficult things we might find in your scripture. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, there's no doubt that we hate waiting. Does anyone here hate waiting? Waiting in lines, things like that, waiting in traffic. I hate waiting. It's, it's crazy when you think about how much of our lives are spent waiting for things. In fact, a few years ago, Timex, the watch company, did a little survey to get actual stats on how long people are waiting. Here's what Timex, the watch company, found out about how much Americans wait. Um, average wait time is 32 minutes whenever we visit a doctor. There's even a room called the waiting room. No doubt you've sat in that waiting room. 28 minutes in airport security lines whenever they travel. I like this one. 21 minutes for a significant other to get ready to go out. Okay, we'll make many comments on that. Other than even once my kids are all ready to go, it takes 20 minutes just to get the kids' shoes on and to get them out of the house. I don't know if you have little kids. Man, waiting. 23 minutes to get a table at a restaurant, 13 hours annually waiting on hold for customer service, 13 hours of your year are going to be wasted being on hold. Your call is very important to us. <laughs> 13 hours later, 38 hours each year waiting in traffic, I suppose that depends on where you live, and this one, 13 seconds before we honk at a car in front of us stopped at a green light. I don't know who waits 13 seconds. It's like a nanosecond. I mean, you don't get, 13 seconds would be generous. Like, that would be polite. Goodness. According to the survey, what lines do people hate waiting in most? Grocery store lines. You ever waited in the customer service line at Walmart? Oh, Lord Jesus, take the wheel. I'm about to lose my mind. Whew. Waiting is torture. But aren't there other times in our lives where we gladly wait? You want to, you know, you guys hear that Chick-fil-A gives a year of free Chick-fil-A for the first hundred people that visit a brand new store? I would wait in line for a Chick-fil-A to open up to be one of the first hundred people, get a year of free Chick-fil-A. I might wait in line for that, gladly. Wait in line for the middle of the night for a Black Friday sale. I mean, there are times we gladly wait in line. I think about a time when I was in seminary, and I'm a book nerd. I love books about theology and scripture and Jesus. And where my school was, it was just... 20 minutes away from Christian Book Distributors. Christianbook.com. I mean, this is amazing. And four times a year, 
ChristianBook.com would have a big warehouse sale. This is the Black Friday of Christian books. And I wanted to be one of the first people in line to run into tables and tables full of discounted Christian books. So four times a year, I'd race in to be the very first one at line. And Angie and I and our friends, we'd get there at five in the morning. It's pitch black. You know, there were times a year where you'd be standing in line and it's raining and it's miserable or it's below zero and you're, you're shaking and you've got your Dunkin' Donuts coffee. This is Massachusetts, not Pennsylvania. And we would stand there and we would wait. And at seven o'clock, the doors would open to book glory. <laughs> and there were only two rules. Number one, you run you don't walk. And number two, look out for the homeschool moms because they will knock you over. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Waiting. We hate waiting. Waiting so hard. But I think many of us come today and we find ourselves in our lives waiting. We're waiting for God to do something in our life. We're waiting for a situation to change. And I just want to encourage you today as we look at Daniel chapter 9 that God's answers are always worth the wait. Do you believe that today? There's hope for those who are waiting that God's answers are always worth the wait. I believe that. So today we're in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 is an incredible chapter. The first part of this chapter, Daniel is praying. He's actually waiting and praying. He's waiting for this exile to be over. I'll explain more about that in a minute. But he is waiting and he begins to pray. And praying is such a powerful way to wait. So I'm going to teach you how to wait and to pray just like Daniel. And then when we get to the second part of this chapter... God begins to answer Daniel's prayer with a vision of the future through the angel Gabriel. The door begins to open and Daniel gets to peek into the future of the glorious plans that God has for the people of God. And as we look at this vision together, I'm just going to warn you, it's going to get a little bit tricky. And we're going to need to put our thinking caps on today. I'm just going to give you a heads up on that. And I'll explain it as we go through it. But as we go through this process, I think we're going to leave here today encouraged. And it might just change the way that you wait. So God, thanks for today. Thanks for your word as we open it up together. We just ask that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're Daniel chapter 9. We're talking about waiting. Waiting is so hard and so often we pray for our wait to be over. And that's where we find Daniel. He is waiting and praying. And so we'll dive into Daniel chapter 9. I hope you have your Bible or a Bible app. We'll put the scriptures up on the screen. But just to remind you where we're at in this story. We're in Daniel 9. And, and the story is, is a pretty amazing one. In 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians besieged the city of Jerusalem. They destroy the walls, the city, 
in the temple. The city is leveled and many people are captured and they are forced to leave their homes and to relocate to a place called Babylon. Can you imagine how awful that would be? To be forced to move away from your home. Everything you know has been lost and destroyed. That's what Daniel and his friends had experienced. And as we've seen, Daniel had the Spirit of God. And because of the Spirit of God, Daniel was able to not just survive in Babylon, but really thrive in Babylon. And so today we see that it's now 66 years later from when that happened. And Daniel is in his 80s. And he's starting to get tired of waiting for God to change his situation. And he begins to ask that question that so many of us ask. God, how long do we have to wait? How long do I have to wait? And what I love about Daniel is he begins to search the scriptures. He begins to open the Bible and read and meditate on God's word. And he comes across something very, very interesting that catches his attention. And that's where we find Daniel, right here in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. And this is what it says. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. He's in the book of Jeremiah. Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah. According to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So Daniel's reading the book of Jeremiah, and he comes across this verse, probably Jeremiah 25.11, which says, this whole country, he's talking about Jerusalem, will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And Daniel goes, 70 years? He starts to add it up. And he's like, the 70 years are almost over. You can imagine Daniel's excitement. But I just want to pause here in our study and say, isn't it amazing that as Daniel's waiting, he is in the scriptures. He's studying God's word. He's meditating. He's allowing the truth of God to come into his heart. I love Romans 15, 4. Because even as we wait, we want to be in God's word, just like Daniel. Romans 15.4, this is is such a powerful scripture. It tells us that the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promise to be fulfilled. In other words, the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God is a powerful resource for those who wait. There is hope and encouragement for you in the scriptures as you wait. And so as you go to the scriptures, I want to encourage you to ask two powerful questions. And you can write these down. These are simple, but they're so important. Whenever you open the Bible, I want you to ask these questions. Number one, what is God saying to me? 
And number two, what am I going to do about it? What's God saying to me? What do I need to do about it? Every time I open my Bible to spend time with God, I prepare a message. These are the two questions I'm asking. Whenever we get into small groups and we're looking at the scriptures together in community, these are the questions we're asking. What is God saying to us? What are we going to do about it? And so Daniel goes, what's God saying to me? Seventy years are almost up. Woohoo! What do I need to do about that? And Daniel realizes something. He realizes that the reason they're in exile, the reason God's people are in exile is because of their sin. And Daniel realizes that the people of God have yet to deeply repent for the sin that caused the exile in the very first place. So Daniel goes, what do I need to do? I need to get down on my knees and pray. And that's verse 3. Daniel says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. It's a picture of repentance. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And here comes an incredible, incredible prayer. And there's so much that we could learn from this prayer. It covers many of the next verses. But for the sake of time, I just want to highlight the way Daniel prays. Because it's, so, it's such a powerful way for us to pray, even as we wait. So the first part of this prayer, as we're looking at Daniel's prayer, is that Daniel praises God. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we want to do when we pray is praise. We're going to get in the scriptures as we wait. We're going to ask, what's, what's God saying to me? What do I need to do about it? And then we're going to pray, and we're going to start like Daniel did with praise. And that's going to be verse 4. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments... Oh, Lord, the great and awesome God. He's praising God for who he is. I don't know about you, but it, when I am waiting, praise is the last thing on my mind. But praise should be the first thing in our prayers. Why? Because praise is powerful. And when we begin to praise God in our waiting, it shifts our perspective. Lord, the great and awesome God. I have a God who's bigger than my weight. And so before Daniel does anything, before he asks for anything, he praises God. And after praising God for a little bit, then he begins to confess his sin and the sin of his people. In verse 5, Daniel prays to God. He says, We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. And this is just one of the many verses in this prayer where Daniel begins to bring his sin and the sin of the people before God. And he begins to confess it to God. God, we have sinned. God, I have sinned. Please forgive us. Why confession? What is the, what is, why is confession so powerful? Because I believe that repentance is a way of us restoring the standard in our life. Repentance is a way for us to restore our relationship with God. 
and really be released from the burden of our sin. So Daniel begins to to confess his sin. He's praising God, thanking him for who he is. He comes, he repents of his sin. And then finally, after all of that, he begins to pray and to bring his request. And that's all the way down in verse 16. Daniel says, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem. He's asking God to change this situation. Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. And then listen to this, verse 18. This is great. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, because of your great mercy. Wow. I just think for so many of us today, we're praying for our wait to be over. But I want you to know that there's so much more to waiting than just the waiting. Because God is in the waiting. And waiting is an opportunity to turn our attention to a great and awesome God. Waiting is an opportunity for you to press into God and to deepen your relationship with Him in a way that wouldn't be possible but were it for the wait. Waiting brings us closer to God. It's not easy. In my own life, waited. It's been difficult. My wife and I waited 14 years for a first child. I can tell you in all that, I learned, we learned one thing. There's no better way to wait if you got to wait than to wait on the Lord. And the scripture says that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So in the scriptures, in the presence of God, there's so much hope and encouragement for those who wait. We pray for our wait to be over. That's the first part. In the second part, God begins to answer Daniel's prayer. And as God answers Daniel's prayer, we're going to see this truth that I just believe with all my heart that God's answers are always worth the wait. I want to show you how God answers Daniel's prayer. Isn't it amazing Daniel has one thing in mind, but God has something bigger in mind? You ever experienced that? You're waiting, you're praying, you have one thing in mind, and God has something bigger in mind? It's what Daniel experiences. So God begins to answer Daniel's prayer. This is verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, that's Jerusalem, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, this is the angel Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision came to me in a swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Gabriel is bringing a vision from God of the future, of God's answer to Daniel's prayer. He's The door is going to open and Daniel's going to get to peek into the amazing future that God has for Daniel and his people. 
What's God's answer to Daniel's prayer? So this is where you're going to have to put your thinking caps on. Are you guys ready? Good. Verse 24. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So here comes the angel Gabriel. He says, Seventy sevens are decreed. God is about to give Daniel a vision of the future and specific events that are going to happen in history within these 77s. So what are these 77s? Well, 70 times 7, we could start with that. 77s, this is why it's already difficult for me because it involves math. <laughs> I'm having trouble getting past the, the math. 70 times 7 is 490, right? So we're talking about 77. It's a period of 490. And so some people will take that literally. Some people will say this is literally a period of 490 years where certain events are going to happen. And that is a possible interpretation, right? And maybe there's a 490-year period where certain events happen leading up to certain things. The only problem with that is there is incredible disagreement about how this 490-piece puzzle fits together and how it works out. It's incredibly challenging. I came across dozens and dozens of interpretations of this Passage, And so people have been trying to figure this out since well, probably the day that it was given to Daniel. It's very difficult, very complex. So, but maybe it is 490 literal years and there are ways that people have tried to line that up and fit that puzzle together. Maybe that's how you might see it. There's another view that says, no, these, these 77s are actually not to be taken literally, but they are meant to be symbolic. And of course, seven in the scripture is one of the most symbolic numbers, right? Seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. God makes the heavens and the earth in seven days. So seven is highly symbolic. Ten. Seven times ten is seventy. Ten is a highly symbolic number. It's the number of fullness. There's ten plagues. There's ten commandments. Very symbolic. Seven, seventy. You guys remember, um, there's a story in the gospel. Somebody comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? And Jesus says, not seven, but 70 times seven. Isn't that interesting? Is that to be taken literally? Like, you should literally forgive someone 490 times, and then on the 491st, it's like, oh, no, not anymore. No, I think he's talking about ultimate forgiveness, right? It's, it's this picture of 70 times 7. It's ultimate completion, perfection. To be honest, I don't know how to take this. Is it literal? Is it symbolic? I'll let you decide. I think there's a clue, though, and you might jot down this scripture. Leviticus 25, 8 through 12. Leviticus 25, is, it's a description of the Hebrew calendar. 
And according to this calendar, they divided up their time into seven-year periods. And if you had seven seven-year periods, it led up to a year of jubilee. Well, if seven sevens in Leviticus leads up to a jubilee, then 77s in the book of Daniel would lead to the ultimate jubilee, the ultimate celebration, the ultimate forgiveness and work of God in the world. Something to consider. Is it literal? Is it symbolic? I'll let you decide. But what's God going to do in these 77s? I think this is what's most important. He's going to do six things according to verse 24, which we have up on the screen. Six things. Number one, God is going to finish transgression and put an end to sin. God is going to deal in a final way with sin. To put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness. Wickedness is going to be forgiven. God's going to do an act of forgiveness, of atonement. I love this, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Remember Daniel prayed, God, answer this not because of our righteousness. Righteousness is something that has to be brought in. And so in these 77s, God's going to do that. Righteousness is going to be brought in. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. That's what it says in the NIV. Literally, the Hebrew says to anoint the most holy. And so NIV puts most holy place. The footnote, it says, or a most holy one. And that's how I take it. That God is going to anoint a holy one who is going to deal finally and completely with sin. Everlasting righteousness is going to be brought in. It's going to be the fulfillment of vision and prophecy. God is going to do something incredible on the earth in these 77s. So God is actually going to answer this prayer. You ready for this? In three stages. And I've actually sketched out a timeline of how this breaks down in the verses to come. Seventy-sevens are going to be divided up into a period of seven sevens, sixty-two sevens, and one seven. Are you all with me? Okay. Everybody doing okay? So let's... Let's see what happens in each of these sevens. Told you guys, you need to put your thinking caps on this week. So let's start with the first seven, all the way over on the left. Verse 25. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens. And so Daniel hears this and he's excited. A word is going to go out where Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. This is the answer to Daniel's prayer. And he's pretty excited about this. And all this happens in the first seven, seven. So let's put this on the timeline. 
right? The city and the temple is going to be rebuilt. This is what I was doing with my time this week is uh, doodling. But guys, look at this. Let's just pause here for a second. Isn't this amazing? The first seven sevens, God is answering Daniel's prayer. It's just the start. It's just the beginning. God has so much more. And I just wonder today if maybe what God has for you, what you're praying about today, is so much bigger than you even ever dreamed and realized. See, I want it to go deep into your heart and into your soul today that God's answers are worth the wait. And when that door opens, you're going to say it was worth the wait. See, we're just at the first seven. And God's already answering Daniel's prayer. There's 63 left. Let's keep reading. Verse 25, no one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. That's actually going to begin to happen in history. In 539 BC, Cyrus and other rulers after him are going to issue a decree that are going to allow the Jews to return to their homeland to rebuild their city and their temple. It says, until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens, and then it breaks it, and 62 sevens. It, going back to the rebuilt city, will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. The city's going to be rebuilt, the temple is going to be rebuilt, but it says in times of trouble. And you can read about this in your Bible, in the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, in the prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. They are going back to their land, they're rebuilding the city and the temple, and there's so much difficulty and opposition. It's happening just like God said it would. But then God marks off another 62 sevens. And he marks it off and he's silent. He doesn't say anything about those 62 sevens. There's something that's going to come after that 62nd seven. But he's going to be silent for 62 sevens. It's why we call that period between the last page of our Old Testament and the first page of our New Testament, the 400 years of silence. It's just one page, right? But there's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And isn't it interesting, and let's go ahead and put that on our timeline, 400 years of silence, we'll just put dot, dot, dot. Don't you hate it when you get that dot, dot, dot? But isn't it interesting that even the years of silence are a part of God's plan? Then after the 62 sevens comes the big one. The final climactic seven where God accomplishes his purpose on earth. Let's read that. Verse 28. After the 62 sevens, so we're arriving at the 70th week. This is the last one. The anointed one. Literally the word there is the Messiah. The Messiah will be put to death and will have nothing. Wow, isn't that incredible? Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, Daniel's saying, 
God is saying to Daniel, there will be a Messiah. He will be put to death and will have nothing. I love how Chick last week, he mentioned there are 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that come true in Jesus. I can't believe that, that this would be talking about anyone other than Jesus. Jesus was put to death. He became nothing. He died on the cross for our sins. And yet, even as Jesus is becoming nothing on this cross, dying for our sins, everything God wanted to, to accomplish is coming true. Right? He's putting an end to sin. He's bringing, in revela- he's bringing in righteousness. He's wiping away guilt. Sin is being forgiven. It's the fulfillment of vision and prophecy. It's all happening in Jesus. This is the ultimate jubilee. It's the ultimate freedom. It is all our hopes, all our longings, our future. It's all being satisfied in Christ. The Messiah will be put to death and have nothing. It's Jesus. And so on our timeline for the first event of the big 70th week, let's put a cross. Jesus is going to die for our sins and he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. The verse goes on to say, he will confirm a covenant with many. And so the cross brings a new covenant. What is a new covenant? A new covenant is a new relationship with God. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took a cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And so one of the first things that happens when you give your life to Jesus Christ is you begin a brand new relationship with God. And this just isn't for a few of us. This is for every one of us. It's for the many. Wow. Well, then there's a second major event in the last seven. It's mentioned in verse 26. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So in the first sevens, he's like, the city and the sanctuary are going to be built. Then the last seven, he's like, and it's going to be destroyed. So this is historically after the death of Jesus Christ. There is a prediction that the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary will be destroyed. Do you guys remember even Jesus talked about this? When he was on earth and he predicted the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And he said, not one stone is going to be left standing on another. And sure enough, 40 years after Jesus, in A.D. 70, a Roman general named Titus marches into the city of Jerusalem and he levels it. The, the walls, the temple, it's, this happened, guys. And we know by Daniel is that the Messiah had to come before that temple was destroyed. Very interesting. Verse 26 continues. The end will come like a flood. That's the end of the city. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. We talked about that. That's the new covenant in Jesus. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Why would Jesus bring an end to sacrifice and offering? Because he is the perfect sacrifice and offering. A temple is no longer needed. That's the book of Hebrews. Jesus is our better sacrifice. And we don't need that system anymore to have a right relationship with God. The system is all who trust in Jesus are forgiven and set free. Goes on to say, and at that temple he will set 
up an abomination that causes desolation till the end that is decreed is poured out on him. I'm not super happy with that translation. It creates some, some confusion there. But needless to say, there's a destruction that is coming upon Jerusalem and its temple. And so in our timeline, let's go ahead and mark that for the second half. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. There's so much more I could say about this in this passage and maybe more that some of you who've studied this would want me to say. But this is one way to make sense of a very confusing portion of Scripture. And uh, I just want to invite you again on the way out. I have some notes from from my seminary days. It's actually a 10-page packet. And it includes four major views on the 77s. For all of you that just want to go home and geek out, it has timelines, it has dates. Know some of you are like, put some dates. Yep, I'll let you look at the dates. There's different dates. Um, major views, strengths and weaknesses of each view. It's a difficult passage to understand. I think that's how God meant it to be. There is a concealed certainty about what God's doing in the world. So as we close, what does this mean for those who wait? What does it mean for those who wait? We talked about waiting at the beginning. We have people in this room today who are waiting. Waiting for a job. Waiting for a house. Waiting for a relationship. Waiting for an opportunity. And I believe that the reason that it's taking so long is because what God has for you is bigger and more rewarding than you ever dreamed or imagined. And just like Daniel, he was praying one thing and God had something so much bigger in mind. And I just believe today that God's answers are always worth the wait. When that door opens, you are going to say it was worth the wait. But there's one other interesting thing about <clears throat> this passage about waiting. Isn't it interesting Daniel's praying for a change of situation? But God wants to bring a transformation. Daniel's praying about something to change in the natural, and God is working out something supernatural. Daniel's praying for a crisis to be over, and God's saying, I want Christ to be revealed. And so today, as you're waiting, I I believe that God is working in the wait and God is going to initiate in your situation a transformation that is going to lead to your destination and our greatest destination is Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. Let me pray for you. God, I just want to thank you that our future is in your hands. And even as, even as you brought this incredible redemption in Jesus and you invite all of us into it, Lord, you have a great plan for us on the earth today. Even as vision was sealed up, we know that there will be an unsealing of vision again as Christ comes to restore our world. And we look forward 
to that day, that ultimate jubilee. I pray for those who wait, for those who are we're crying out to you for a change in their situation. And I pray that they would be strengthened by you. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I pray that they would turn to you and dive deep to their relationship with you, that they would find all their strength, all their hope, all their future, and all their joy and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Because in you and in your kingdom is righteousness and joy so we ask that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's worship.